This is Jason Heat, and you are listening to the Three Count Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another great edition of the Three Count Podcast presents Now Entering the Ring, and I'm your host, Clifford Red Dog Miller. That's right, the man that leads you up this mountain called wrestling. That's right. And by now, after all the episodes I've asked you to do it, you should be calling me your Sherpa. But more importantly, like every good Sherpa, you got to have someone who's been there, done that, and can do it more efficiently than you can. And that's why it's never about me. It's about who's entering the ring. And who's entering the ring today? Well, he is a director. He is an artist. He is a commentator. He is a master of his craft. He is an announcer. And he is so much more. Welcome in, Jason Heat. Thank you very much. Do you prefer Cliff, Clifford, or Red Dog on this show? You know what, man? We just kind of swing it whatever way. Like, it really doesn't matter. All right. I had one person call me a Sherpa. That was pretty cool, too. (laughs) I would hope so. You've been asking for a very long time. So I hope that people lend you what you are asking for. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yo, so one, thank you for coming on the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so we met um, at HWF uh, at the last show in January. And That's right. I felt like we just kind of like hit it off the bat, and I was like, oh, this is great. Like, I love having a conversation with him. And then you came back, and I saw you again, and we even had like a little bit more of an interaction and got to talk a little bit more about stuff. And just like the ideas that you were pitching to me, I was like, I love all of this. Like, we've got to like find ways to incorporate new things. So, I, I definitely wanted to pick your brain a little bit more, but more importantly, I wanted to talk more about like you. So who is Jason Heat? You know, I knew that you were going to ask me that question. And um, because I'm me, it's turned into a bit of an existential crisis. So I thought a lot about this answer. And um, here's sort of my multi-part, very complicated answer to your very simple question. Um, at a core, I think Jason Heat is just an extension of Jason Schlafstein with a name that I chose for purposes that get to take me maybe out of myself or away from parts of myself that I feel obligated to um, that were sort of like assigned to me or carry baggage that I don't want to carry with me and instead get to embrace a hero of mine. So the name comes from Eddie Guerrero. When I was getting into wrestling, Eddie Guerrero was one of my absolute favorites and particularly his Latino heat uh, personality. So um, I was for a brief period of time, and I don't know how anyone let me get away with this, Schlafino heat because of Schlafstein. Um, And then when I worked at Tower Records way back in the day, like in the dying days of Tower Records, my only retail job, actually. So, you know, I got like a really good one to be the one that I did. They let us put whatever we wanted for the most part on our name tags. And so I couldn't fit Schlafino Heat, but I could fit Jason Heat. And so suddenly that changed into that. Then when I became a DJ, I remembered that and that became my DJ name. And then when I became a wrestling commentator, I kept that. So it's been this sort of like name and brand that has come with me for a long time. The bigger question is like, who is Jason Schlafstein? And um, I think that I am uh, an experienced junkie. I'm a work in progress. And most importantly, I'm a creator and I'm someone who 
craves the opportunity to um, create an experience and connect. And I've done that through a lot of different ways in my life. And I've been fortunate to be able to extend that into professional wrestling. Um, and Jason Heat is, you know, hopefully a storyteller in the world of professional wrestling. And that takes place both from a promotional and promoter side at times, the creative and booking side, which is some of my favorite work to do, commentary, which is also a real passion of mine, and um, helping to hopefully provide talent with some resources for character development and thinking about their personalities and personas and drives and motivations in different ways. Uh, and so that is who I am. Um, and that's who Jason Heat is, I guess, for today. Hey, but you know what? That's a lot of things that like you like to divulge into, and you've kind of like hit on several different points, right? Just like whether you're a part of like the music and Tower Records, or even as a DJ. Which I have my own persona. I think I'm gonna put it in the pod. I, one of these promos I'm gonna put it in there just for fun, just to see like if anybody like catches it super quick. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's it is definitely it's definitely interesting to see like you in a way you like been able to mold and bend inside the business and like you know flex your kind of creativity and like allow other people to like pick your brain and like evolve. Cause I know I've had a couple friends who have hit me up on the side and was like, dude, have you talked to Jason? Like he's been helping me with this character or he's helping me on Tuesday with my character and help develop this and that. And I'm like, yo, yeah. And I was like, I just so happen to be talking to him <laughs> at the same time. So yeah, you are definitely um, a mind for the business and it's definitely cool to see. Oh, I really appreciate that. Um, you know, I, I really enjoy collaboration and I really enjoy um, helping to support other people and uh, I hope that I'm able to be effective in those roles when I have the opportunity. That, so I'm kind of curious though, like how did you get into the sport? So I actually, as a fan, I got in later in life than most people. Uh, most of the people I know have a somewhat similar arc where they get into it when they're very young and then they kind of get out of it a little bit, maybe around puberty or college or something along those lines. And then they fall back in love with it or they um, it gets reintroduced into their lives or they become professional. I didn't have any experience with wrestling until I was 13. I um, avoided it. And it's so funny because I'm so passionate about it now. But when I was really young, I just had all these preconceptions and ideas about it. And I guess I thought it was stupid, which is so weird to me in retrospect, because I've always been a huge superhero guy, um, comic books of all kinds, but like very clearly I'm very into superheroes and wrestling is in so many ways, the most live action form of superhero story, even in some ways, not entirely more than the movies and stuff like that, but the episodic serial nature of it week to week is very similar in a lot of ways to the actual structure of comics. So I got into it because everybody at my school was talking about it in the Attitude Era. And finally, I was like, what is this thing that I'm going to watch? I truly must have been, like, meant to like it. Because I know for sure that the first segment I ever saw was the introduction of Meat when they like beat up Tiger Ali Singh with PMS. And that is not the segment to give somebody to get them into wrestling forever. <laughs> I just remember like I was making fun of it, but suddenly I was hooked. And then I was checking the Washington post for like the old TV guide sections to try to figure out when wrestling was on. Cause I didn't even know it was on Mondays and Sundays. And I devoured it 
voraciously. And I found really early on, and I don't know if you remember this, this site called WrestleLine that had um, Scott Keith, who was writing, who still has his blog of doom, and um, Rick Skaya, Online Onslaught, all these people from like way back in the day. And I ended up doing the thing that I do where I deep dive. And I ended up basically reading recaps of something like 20 years of wrestling history from both the onstage and backstage perspective in a matter of months to catch up because I can't get into something without super deep diving. So mm. I first got into it as a fan in that way um in terms of getting into it professionally i just don't think it ever occurred to me that it was something that i could even do or that it was within reach or sight until suddenly in 2017 i had been working for a long time in theater i had done a lot of work that was specifically related to the intersection of stage combat into um, theatrical work and devising and creating stuff. And the more, and we did a show where we brought in somebody to basically be a pro wrestling coach. And I saw the mechanics and I realized how similar the storytelling structures were and how much I already knew about structuring the story of a fight for the stage because I had been watching wrestling for so long that I had internalized it. And it suddenly occurred to me that maybe these doors were a lot closer and more permeable than I had originally thought. So I actually just sort of put it on Facebook as a sort of manifestation. I was like, I'm really interested in getting involved in the world of professional wrestling. This is me putting that out to sort of be accountable and also to see if there's any openings, like this is me putting that into the world. And someone actually ended up then immediately connecting me with a guy named Mike Valentine, who is still a very close friend, who was running a company called Fight Pro Wrestling with Mike Raddick, who you had on the show recently. Yep. <laughs> they met with me and they brought me in. And the original role was I was going to kind of come in and help work on promos with talent to get them more comfortable and sort of just be almost an acting coach. And I'd never been to an indie show before. And I went and there was a show and I think it was Inwood, West Virginia. And I felt so out of place at first. And I was like, so out of my depth. And I remember Ricky Reyes was giving a seminar in the middle of the ring. I was like, what am I doing here? This is crazy. And then the show started. And I don't think these guys would feel bad for me saying this. I love them. I'm still working with both of them. But like, immediately, I went from being like, what am I doing here to holy crud, they need a stage manager. It was just <laughs> so disorganized and it's because as similar as theater and wrestling are and as similar as they are in art forms their institutionality has gone in such different directions that some really basic concepts in some world of performing arts are just not a part of the structure of pro wrestling for the most part and i was suddenly like just jumping in to doing all this work and it ended up being that within a very short period of time i became the, the basically the creative head of Fight Pro Wrestling. And then we started doing a weekly YouTube show because Mike Valentine had access to a TV studio. And so for however many months, we put on a weekly YouTube show with storylines and angles and production. It only lasted for about half a year. It was an incredibly aggressive and you know ambitious project to try and do. But I basically considered that my internship in the world of pro wrestling and sort of jumped in head first in terms of conceptualizing and writing and learning how to do week-to-week -week booking. And in the process of that, um, I ended up meeting a really good friend of mine, a guy named Bobby Shields, who I love and is wonderful, but is without a doubt the most curmudgeonly human being I've ever met. 
and he had, I guess, had some not great experiences. And so the first show I sent him sort of like, here's what we're going to be doing on this show. I've never met him. I sent him a Facebook message that I'm like, this is all of the, um, the stuff that's happening. And he just wrote back, are we allowed to curse on the show or no? Yes, we are, 100%. He was just like, what is this bullshit? What is this raw? Do a successful show first. What the fuck is wrong with all of you, etc." This is my first interaction with this man ever. And instead of having any kind of like negative or angry response, for whatever reason, I just like totally rolled with it. It was just like, hey, I'm new. Clearly you have thoughts. Can we meet up for coffee? I'd actually love to know what hasn't been working for you. And he was like, oh, yeah, sure. And we did that and we hit it off. And he brought me to Nova Pro, which was operating at that time. Um, and I started to meet a bunch of people there. I had been working part-time as an events technician at the Jewish Community Center in Greater Washington for years. And even though this is not the kind of work that I really enjoy, I have a basic understanding of sound and light system and the technology. Um, and so the second show I went to for Nova Pro, their sound system wasn't working. And I was able to go and fix it. And I had mentioned that I do commentary. And I think only because I fixed the sound system, they were like, you can have a tryout next show. And then suddenly... I did well on that, and that led to that, led to that, and and that was really how I broke in um, doing it. Yo, that's that's an incredible journey of like just finding your way through. And then there's like, it was something I brought up with another uh, in another interview. I was talking about uh, just don't say no to like any opportunities that come because you never know like what's gonna spurn out of it. And clearly, you took advantage of it. You know, sound system breaking. You're just like, I can fix it. And then here you are doing commentary and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, and it's also, I think, goes to show you have to be ready for opportunities when they happen, but also as many different facets of anything that you're interested that you can get proficient in, the better, because you can bring unexpected value. You know, what I wanted to be doing was not sound. And for a long time, I was responsible for setting up the sound system and being commentary. And you know what I mean? Like in the setting up the sound system, for whatever reason was miserable it wasn't because it was difficult it's just like something was always missing or was always stressed and it was a nightmare but it was a thing that i could do that opened the door and then knowing that also makes it better when i'm doing other things for promotions or i'm like okay i have an understanding of how this works so if i'm ever running a show i know how important it is to have a sound person i know how important it is to invest in that equipment and to actually if i ask for something to be done what does it mean to do that instead of asking for the world when you don't have those resources i just think the more education we all build and competencies in every aspect of the industries that we're in the better that we can communicate and build vocabulary with all the people involved i like that i like that a lot and it's something like for me, because I'm so new to the sport, like I'm still like growing within like just who I am, like as a character. But then like I have this podcast where like I give like another vessel of like, how do I grow in this place? And so I just, you know, it's like all like the reps that you got to go through and take allow you to like continue to grow and then learn more aspects of everything else. Because I've had different people from different areas of like the sports world, right? We can talk about whether you're a promoter or you're a booker or you're a wrestler or you're a manager, or maybe you're just a music guy or you make music or you make gear. So it's, it's fun to be able to talk to all those people, but it's definitely something I think I need to explore more is like just jumping around and like learning more about what everybody else is doing because I've done commentary work. Actually, I did commentary for HWF. Oh, uh, did you, did you do that for the first show? I did. <laughs> it was, uh, I, they, it was weird because they, and I don't want to say weird in the sense that, it was weird for me because it wasn't, but it was weird because like I was like, I was the third match in 
and I had to go plan my match. And so I'm working to my match. And then as soon as I get done, like I'm kind of out of breath. So I'm like, all right, let me take a breath. Then I went and jumped in. I started doing commentary uh, uh, right there on the spot. And yeah, it was it was awesome because like you can tell like uh, and and Sicken and uh, Sicken will tell you it. And uh, Chaz will tell you like they could hear me clear as day like just being the bad guy <laughs> was <laughs> so much fun just to be a whole different entity of like me and just talk like it's weird to be like that person that's like trying to tell a story but then like i'm supposed to do in comment like color commentary not like play by play but like explaining mm-hmm. the story of like how everything got put together like um for instance like riot city took on pure ignorance right in at genesis and i was doing commentary so Unfortunately, my man did not know who either team was. So I'm like, well, listen, this is Rye City. They're really good wrestlers. This is pure ignorance. They're not wrestlers. They're just fighters. So, you know, what we're seeing is like this clash of styles, but it's kind of like similar. And then like, sure enough, like the story starts playing out. And I was like, look, you see Riot City's over here getting over on top of pure ignorance. And then you see Prince turn around and just punch Max. <laughs> and then like, nice. or no, I'm sorry, punched the, he punched Ron in the face and then i was like see this is what we're talking about you would know this if you would do your research and like we just was that out. your first time doing commentary it was my first time yeah actually it was my first time doing commentary for um like live promotion because then after that i've done pro- i've done commentary for like c3w uh and i've done commentary actually for the kayfabe junkies tournament which nice. was something that was just done which was weird because it was also uh it was also a tournament that I won and I had to do commentary for all the matches. Oh, that is, yeah, that's odd. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely weird. It would be but, fun uh, to call a show with you at some point, though. Oh, yeah, I definitely would love to do that sometime. But I, I gotta, I'm got i curious, man, because you did mention that the theater world is a lot like the pro wrestling world in, in the aspect of combat. So I'm just curious, like, where do they mesh? Where do they differ? And then how is it that one can actually, like, close that gap a little bit? Um, I think that probably the single biggest difference has to do with the nature of rehearsal versus improvisation. Um, and now nothing that I'm about to say is 100% hard and fast true about either of these disciplines. There's all different kinds of professional wrestling. There's all different kinds of theater. Theater is a large catch-all term and it can mean lots and lots of different things. So like that's a, a um, an entire plethora of caveats, but if we're breaking it down into some really basic ideas and sort of traditional theatrical process is that at minimum, you usually have two weeks of rehearsal plus tech for any kind of major production that you're putting on, unless you're doing improvisation. And even if you are doing improvisation, the likelihood is that you're probably not doing any improvisation with combat or physical violence, because in the theater world, you bring in a fight choreographer, safety is incredibly important. Not saying it's not in wrestling, it's just a completely different culture. And the work that you're doing, there's a lot more of a a much longer rehearsal process. Everything is pre-choreographed. There's a lot more analysis ahead of time um, for things. The basic idea of, of, of telling a story 
through live performance is the same in the sense that I do think that wrestling is an offshoot of theater. It is a different artistic, it's not a genre. I would say it's a different artistic medium under that banner, the same way that I would say clown is, or the same way that Cirque is. Um, I say so is wrestling. It's got its own conventions, its own rules, its own storytelling methodologies, but it is still live performance in a stage effectively in the round or three-quarter thrust. Um, but some of that biggest difference is going to be the fact that wrestlers have acts, basically. you. This is something that Regal talks a lot about when I listen to him. I don't want to pretend I've ever met William Regal, but I study a lot of what he says. And you define your act. You bring your act and this commonality of language that you understand in terms of spots and psychology and how you sequence and put together a match. And you meet up with another person and you basically, with the guidance of a promoter who would function sort of as a producer or a director, agent, consultant, however that's going to be, you put that together to tell the story, but it's all effectively improvisation built around what's in your repertoire and how your respective repertoires interact with each other. Whereas in the theater, all of that is being carefully mapped out and constructed, often in collaboration, sometimes very dictatorially, but being told exactly how to do, what to do. And it's all been tested before it ever goes up in front of an audience. Whereas professional wrestling, while you're doing your stuff with training, almost always you're putting out the product that you're putting out for the first time in front of an audience. Um, you would also just never engage in choreographed violence without practicing it in any way, shape, or form. And the kind of contact that's done in wrestling would be anathema to most people in theater. And that's not to say that one is better or worse. It's about different kinds of training. It's about different kinds of culture. Um, would never ask somebody in a professional play to do the things that pro wrestlers do is that's not their wheelhouse and it's not what is safe for them. And at the same time, I think wrestlers would be uh, sort of shocked by the extent to which even um, a slap is extensively choreographed for angles and lines and safety and not to actually make combat and all of that stuff in a way where like, that's just a move in a sequence that you guys would talk about doing. So there's so much more, but those are some of the things that I immediately think of. Um, the, the similarity is that it's all built on storytelling structure. And, you know, um, you can mess with and adapt, and there are multiple different kinds of storytelling structures, but basic, conventional, sort of like three or five act drama is a lot of what a wrestling match is based around. It's also the same thing a lot of plays are based around. And you're just breaking it down and using different tools to tell those stories. And when you understand how to do that and you can break that down, then the conceptual ideas of what goes into a wrestling match versus what goes into a stage play are not actually particularly different. I like that though. It's, it was a lot of, something. there was a lot of blathering. So, right. Well, but you know, to be fair, like it, it is kind of be told in, in any good match, any good match that you watch, whether it's, you know, the late great, you know, Scott Hall versus Shawn Michaels with their ladder match, or you're looking at like maybe even more recently, right. We can do with like undisputed era and war games, 
whatever <laughs> any anytime that they're in war games or even if you look at it like currently when we're recording this episode by the way full transparency thunder rosa is the aew women's champion as of yesterday so it gives you an idea of when we're recording this but you see it all told in these like kind of stories like right where like a person like the good guy like starts to get up and is like ha 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 right and then like in the second part of the story you're getting told about how the bad guy is like getting up on the good guy and then at the end you have, you know, the obviously you have the climax and the, and, mm-hmm. the, and the big the big finale and whether the good guy or bad guy goes over really just kind of depends on you know the stroke of a pen or a pencil. Uh, but it's 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 the idea of being told like you're telling the story of like how you want to get to a finish and like how you want the audience to ride on the roller coaster. Yeah, and for me, it's also about the particularly in pro wrestling. I think it's about the accumulation of meaning. And then the payoff of that being the accumulation of meaning. And in pro wrestling, it's very often um, the accumulation of meaning paying off in physical spectacle. Um, Teasing the chair or going through the table or having the logic of why is why that stuff means something. And that's how you get the maximum bang for your buck. Um, Recently, for example, Wardlow coming out and handing punk the ring was an incredibly powerful moment that got a huge reaction despite almost no physicality being part of it honestly got more reaction than almost all of this incredibly violent brutal brawl because over the course of years and months a lot of different storytelling aspects had been building to that very specific moment. And you see the payoff in a very iconic physical gesture. You have the prop that's been built up as having significance. You have the relationships between those characters. You pay all that off with this very symbolic physical moment that becomes this kind of iconographic lightning that I think both, any kind of live performance art, I think that's what it can do better than almost any other kind of art form. Um, movies give you the opportunity to see from one person's perspective better than almost any other form of art. You can literally be looking at the world through the lens of somebody's vision. Television gives you long-term character development in a way that almost nothing else possibly can. You're spending 13 hours a year, possibly over seven, eight years with these characters. You get a depth of character. Um, Novels play on your imagination and can build worlds in a way that almost nothing else can because it acts and invites you to be a participant in that comics to me, one of the things that they do best as a storytelling medium is they provide the visual density of film with the ability to control your own time that you take on it. Unlike in a movie where you're not likely to rewind or fast forward, you're sort of stuck with how much you can understand in the time that's being delivered. In a comic, you can layer something visually on page one and understand that someone may not pick up on it, but they have the option to go back at page 50 when they figure it out, reread it, and you actually play with their ability to like manipulate time. Live theater and pro wrestling can't do any of that. <laughs> but what it can do, I think, is provide these lightning bolt moments where you actually change and indelibly affect somebody in a specific moment by building up and building, building, building and paying off and having someone be there live. 
and sharing that with another group of people who are all having that same experience. And to me, those are the moments that pro wrestling are most effective when they're structured to, to be that. Yeah, I agree. I agree with it a lot. I, uh, so I know like you've been doing commentary for like HWF and I'm just kind of curious, like whether it's on a live show or maybe it's, you know, you know, watching a pay-per-view, do you have a, you have a match snack that you got to have? No, I am a real foodie. So I, I take food very seriously in the sense that nothing that's going to be available the day of the show is going to be something that like would get me so excited, if that makes sense. And I'm a completely aware how bougie I am about to be. Uh, but it's just, I, I think about this a lot. I have, there's people who have very passionately argue about like sheets versus Wawa versus this. Totally cool. I don't get it because in my mind, it's all gas station food. You know what I mean? Like none of this is good. So why would we argue about which of these not good options that are available at two in the morning on a Tuesday are the thing I'm like super interested in amazing hole in the wall, interested mom and pop places or really great homemade food or really excellent chefs and stuff like that. Um, I've gotten my depression project over the pandemic was going from somebody who didn't cook at all to like in 2021, I made over 200 dishes for the first time that I had never made. So I've like gotten really invested in it. So my ultimate like match day snack in a perfect world would be to go into a place that I've never been before, find something incredibly specific to that region, whether it's like a really cool local restaurant or a kind of food that I wouldn't have before and have a new culinary experience that I would only have because I'm in that place. It's just not really a part of wrestling culture for the most part. <laughs> That's awesome though. I know like for me, when the pandemic happened, like learning to cook was something that like, I, I I'm kind of good at cook. I'm not going to say I'm a great cook, but I got to explore more with like different spices and stuff like that, that I normally wouldn't eat my hands on. So I definitely understand like the, the challenge of like, Hey, like I'm going to try doing this with this and see what I can do and make something awesome out of it. What's your, what's your favorite meal that you made since you started exploring with cooking more? Uh, so I know my wife loves it and my daughter loves it too. Right. But I'll make, uh, and for those who don't know, you're going to find out, uh, biscuits and sausage gravy casserole, actually, is the thing that like I have mastered and I'm definitely a huge fan of it. <laughs> oh, I would like for you to make me that at some point. I love biscuits and gravy and I've never heard of it as a casserole. So that sounds, yeah. I mean, terribly unhealthy, but amazing. Oh yeah. <laughs> it is. And then I make it, I make it even worse because like, I don't want to say I make it worse. That's not the right words, but like, as I'm putting in, you have like cheese on top and then like obviously you put the gravy and i put more cheese on top of the gravy and it's just like it's like it it is definitely a heart attack in a pan but it's so good <laughs> i would love to try that at some point and i think the other one I, I mastered which this actually i started doing this because my sister and my mom they make really good enchiladas and i was like i'm gonna battle and i'm gonna make enchiladas and what ended up happening was and sorry to some of those places I just don't visit anymore, but uh, we, we, I judge all Mexican restaurants based on their enchiladas. And okay. if I can make them better than you can, you won't see me again. <laughs> I, 
totally get that because I judge delis and particularly Jewish delis by the quality of their Reuben. Mm. That's the go-to. It's like, what is, how is your Reuben? And that's how I know overall the quality of this deli. Yeah. I was like, there's a couple places here where I'm just like, you know what? Mm. We're not going back. And my wife was like, but I really like the food. I was like, yeah, but the enchiladas suck and we're not coming back because I don't want anything else. Like, I can make my food better than yours. Why do I need to be at your place when I can just buy it myself? <laughs> unless they're, unless that's just not what they're good at. You know, like if there's something else that they're really, nah, that nah, they nah. specialize in. All right, hey. One shot. That's all you get. <laughs> good to know. Listen, Eminem told me, okay, if you get one shot, are you going to capture it or are you going to let it slip? And so I let everyone's let it slip. That don't, that don't go back to you. <laughs> I appreciate that your entire life philosophy was built off of Eight Mile. <laughs> it is. I brought it all in. <laughs> so I'm curious, man. Like, um, what's been like some advice that you've given to upcoming wrestlers? I think everybody is different, but something that always surprises me. And makes me a little sad. Not to say disappointed or it's like a, a flaw, but something that like I wish that more people thought to do because I think it would make their lives better and easier is really thinking about their character um, and um, not just their gimmick and not just their moves and stuff, but really thinking about their character as a cohesive whole and um, their motivations and their character's desires why this character is involved in wrestling i have this theory my own personal philosophy that the core metaphor of professional wrestling is the idea of what does it mean to be the best and that almost all of pro wrestling storytelling and characters are permutations of that theme or at least that's what i'm most drawn to that doesn't have to be how everybody thinks about it but i would give everybody the advice of really thinking ahead of time about what your perspective on your character is their strengths and their weaknesses. I don't just mean your strengths and weaknesses as a performer. I mean, your strengths and weaknesses as a character um, and how your style and how your in-ring work coincides and plays with the aspects of your character, which allows for more depth. It allows for more ability to tell textured stories. It allows for commentary to do more. It allows for different places for you to play off your opponent in interesting ways. And I think it, gives more for fans and bookers to invest in. Um, and so thinking about that kind of depth and specificity as it relates to character, and then incorporating that into the presentation in a really meaningful way. The other thing that I would say is, and not everyone agrees with this, but this is something when I was promoting that people really either like agreed with or were like, "What? I don't agree with you at all at this, but I think it's really important I think gear is really important. I think that setting yourself wrestling is based on, I, I can, um, I'm going to mispronounce this word, but iconography, basically um, silhouettes, icons. When you think of superheroes in particular, you know, you can see Batman in a shadow and a silhouette and you get it. You see these logos and you get it. You have a basic understanding of it. You get to come out and you have from the moment you enter until you get into the ring, when you take all of this ring stuff off and then effectively for the most part, you're there in your version of speedos, you know, to fully convey 
to an audience exactly who you are, what you are, and how you get set aside, the quality of that gear and the consistent and that presentation and maximizing every moment you have to fully convey, the way I think of it is like, if you are a wrestler and you think of your entrance as the character select screen of a video game, will somebody immediately be able to, by clicking and looking at that character select screen, understand who you are and a basic idea of what you represent in terms of your archetype and also be interested in either playing as you or beating you? And are you separating yourself out from all the other people that are on the show? Because the goal is to stand out and to be unique and to make sure that you make those memories. And if you're looking and everybody has the same basic gear, the same basic color palette, the same basic look, how will you stand out? There's there's ways. There's so many ways. There's a million ways. But one thing you have complete control over is how you, unless you get to WWE and you're told, you know, but like on the indies, you get to decide how you're dressed, and what your presentation is. And so that to me is really important and something I think a lot of people um take for granted or put aside and don't think about the variables that they have complete control of because in life and in wrestling in particular any kind of art form where you're navigating what a promoter is looking to do and an opponent is looking to do and all these other things what you have control over is super important i like that and it's it's something like i thought about because I know like for my color scheme is red and black. Obviously the red dog, right? It's just, it's just a color scheme that I run with. But um, I thought about like different ways of presenting myself. And it's funny because you mentioned about like, how are you making yourself different from everybody else? That's like, not only on your show, but to me, I think about it regionally and even so much nationally. Like, how is it? Cause like my character clearly says on his butt that I'm a mercenary, but how do I make mine different? And I know like when I first started, it was like, I'm this serious kind of mercenary, but I felt like I was kind of being like too like rigid, which was definitely not a person like that's not in my personality. And I know people are like, well, that's what the military is like. I was like, clearly you've not been a part of the military. You have no idea what you're talking about. And so when I brought that up to uh, to Nick, he was like, uh, he's like, all right, well, then you cut a promo the way you think you should cut it. And then we'll talk about it. And then I cut my first promo in front of him as the way I thought it should be taken. And he was like, so you're just, you're essentially just going to be Deadpool. I was like, yep. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, all right, let's see how this goes. And he even admitted to it. Like I've gotten so much more comfortable with the idea of just being this like loose renegade mouthy kind of person who's just willing to just like talk trash change his origin story on the whim of a dime for no reason whatsoever but it's just it's fun for me to like be able to play with this idea and then like also to like work on other things i think is important because like i'd like to have like a code word that just irritates red dog right why Mm -hmm. i don't know it'd just be funny because like even deadpool has his own word that like he just does not like hearing and i just think it's funny like that aspect someone says it and you're just like the hell's wrong with you (laughs) so i've thought about those kind of things and like worked on like the character side of my character like what makes him tick what makes this happen why does he do this why does he like to do this how does he do it or you know what drives him to do this way how can he change that and i've always been playing with the idea because i think where i'm at now i'm like 
I love the aspect of where I'm at with my character, but I was like, there's more to it. And especially with a person like Deadpool, like the world is so massive mm-hmm. in his world that I want to be essentially the same way. And so that's why I treat it like, um, for instance, right? No disregard to HWF, but there was a part where somebody had a camera, my opponent was talking trash, and I was talking to the camera because <laughs> I acknowledge, like, hey, I know there's somebody watching this, so I'm just going to talk to them, too. Well, and, if, you're, uh, if you're taking from Deadpool also, there's a way of incorporating, like, so not that you want to be a copy, but my first thought in hearing that would be, all right, what are the key elements of Deadpool? And one of the key elements of Deadpool is that he breaks the fourth wall. He's right. one of the few comic book characters that directly addresses the audience in a way that he knows he's in a comic book. So in an independent wrestling show where very few people are playing to the camera or TV, the idea of you finding ways to use playing straight to the camera as your version of Deadpool breaking the fourth wall and adapting and shifting that and becoming a part of your act is potentially really interesting. So. Yeah. And I was like, yo, I have so much. And I, I know, like, uh, I think I've said it like on different shows, like I've done it different ways, but I just think it's, it's hilarious every single time. Cause everybody who recognizes that I'm doing it, like I'm in a ring with, they legitimately try not to break character. And I've made it my point now, like, I'm going to make you break character at some point. Like, I'm going to say something and you're going to just try to, like, uh, for instance, there was an event that happened. Uh, somebody threw a rooster, uh, a rubber chicken in the ring. Okay. And it hit me in the back. And I grabbed the, I grabbed the chicken. I stared at the chicken. I look at the dude. I was, like, pinning him. And then he kicked out. So he's still on the ground. I look at the ref. I look back at the chicken. To the chicken. I look at the guy, I look at the ref, and I was like, hey, yo, hold my cock. And the guy, the guy was pinning goes, you're an asshole. <laughs> and he, <laughs> he tried not to laugh. He's like, you're an asshole. <laughs> He's trying. I could see it in his face. I was like, this is going to work out really well. <laughs> awesome. Um, so uh, what's one of the hardest lessons you've had to learn in the wrestling business? Hmm. I think I'm always, and I haven't experienced this as much personally, thankfully, but um, I've, I've seen enough and heard enough from other people to know that it's true that um, I'm just, boy, I'm really struggling how to articulate this one. I don't have a lot of buy-in to the very territorial sort of fiefdom idea of like trying to sabotage other people or other companies. And I've been fortunate that I haven't personally experienced a lot of that. At least I don't think, but I know it's true because I've now interacted with a number of people who have expressed a lot of skepticism upon my first interacting with them or assume maybe nefarious intent because I'm very open and direct and, and um, I just, I, I think that honest communication is so incredibly important and people being honest doesn't mean being shitty, but I think if you, you can't, 
you can't say you're going to listen to people and not actually listen. You can't say you care about other people's opinions and then choose to completely disregard them. That doesn't mean you have to do everything that somebody says, but you actually have to really live up to the expectations that you set. And I just think this idea that other people are muscling in on our territory or we're going to do things to sabotage other people and the fact that we have to maybe genuinely think about that and that it's not paranoia. I used to dismiss a lot of it. I'd get very frustrated when I would be in meetings and hear people talk about how all well, this is what this other promotion is doing. And we got to worry about them. And we got to do this. And we got, and I'm like, why are what, like who fucking cares? Like the, the purpose should be putting on our best show. And, and, and yes, there's some competition in the sense that you want to get the best talent. And obviously if you're running on the same dates, but the reality is I truly think if you're, putting on the best product, if you're paying people the best wage, if you're giving them the best matches, you know, if you're providing the best opportunities, then people are going to naturally be drawn to you. And I also think scenes have the potential when everything is going well to support a lot of different varieties of companies to the extent that the idea that several companies who have distinct identities working in the same space or sharing talent, I just think that whole mindset is bullshit and when i experience companies where they're like well you can't work for this company because they're in the same market or trying to tell wrestlers who they can work for when they're not going to pay them a living wage in the first place i just think there's a lot of outmoded territorial thought processes and seeing people that i even really like still get caught up in these because that's the world that they've lived in is very frustrating and um i guess the sad lesson that i've learned is like that's all born out of real trauma people don't develop these defense mechanisms out of nothing they develop these defense mechanisms because they experienced something and something happened and someone did start to fuck with them and did pull some shit on them and now they're scared of it now they're looking for it and now they're gonna also try and maybe inflict that on other people and i just think that if we could learn to try and break some of those cycles and have better communication and more internal focus and recognize that like a rising tide lifts all boats for a scene and that a scene can be really healthy and that an ecosystem of professional wrestling, I think would be better than one company gobbling it all up, but also only having like 5% of the potential audience. That's, that's what I would like to see. And I keep being reminded how much damage I guess has been done to people that keep that from being a mindset that they're able to, to, to have. No, that's a, that's, that's a good thing to like, think about. I think about it all the time. Cause like, I know I've had, I've had people tell me like, Hey, if you work at this place, you're not working here or you can't work there. And I'm just like, okay, well, listen, like I have, and I, I, I'm realistic about who I am, right? Like, I, I know I'm uh, I'm not definitely a spring chicken, right? But I look back and I'm like, yo, like, I may have, like, 10 good years. Like, do not tell me where I can and can't work. I was like, because at the end of the day, I will just work wherever I want to work. And if somebody doesn't want to book me because I work for this company or that company, that's fine. I understand. But just understand that I just know, like, if I want to make it to where I want to make it, I don't got time to sit back and be like, hey, I don't want to be a part of your show because – you have problems with that guy. I don't care about your guys' it's, problem. We have two different out, relationships. <laughs> it's such an outdated mentality. It also is just something that I I think 
one of the, you know what the the hardest lesson I've learned, or one of the hardest lessons I've learned, not just in in wrestling but in life, and so then it also applies in wrestling, is that we see the world through our lens. We have been brought up, we've had experiences, whether it's by biology or situations, traumas, all sorts of factors. We all have different ways of looking at the world, and they can be radically different than other people's, and um, yet you don't realize it because we see the world through our lens. We also interpret other people's actions through our lenses. Uh, And so one difficult lesson was to try and learn, and it's still really difficult as often as possible to step out of my own perspective and recognize that other people have maybe had hurt or trauma that will cause them to see me in a way that I don't intend. And it's on me to try and understand ahead of time what all the possible perspectives on what I might do or say look like so that I don't accidentally trigger because only I know who I am in my head. The other thing that uh, I'm getting a little lost in this, but the other lens for that is to remember that other people just do have different mentalities about things. And it can be painful when you're confronted with those. Like I personally don't have any interest in sabotaging people. There's people I really don't like. There's people I have like not good feelings for in my heart. But the way that I personally feel about that is, is for the most part, if I don't like you, I just don't want you in my life. I just don't want to see you like, go have a great existence someplace, hopefully where I never have to interact with you. But the idea of trying to sabotage someone is genuinely very foreign to me. So when I see people act from that perspective, it's a shock and it's a hard lesson to remind myself that the standards by which I operate and view the world that I assume are the standards everybody operates. I assume that we all have the same values, but we don't. And that's been difficult for me to have to constantly remind myself that the navigation with a person is also to figure out what their values are. And you can't change those. And they're not even bad for having different values than you, but you get to decide who you want to continue to associate by whether or not they are the kind of person that fits your value system. And I think that fits in wrestling too. Sorry, this is maybe not the area you usually hey, have your we, podcast go we opened up the pan we opened up the can it's fine we're not worried about whatever comes out so it's all good to, it's all good to me i don't worry about it but i definitely enjoy it because like it's a different perspective and like you said like i have a tendency of looking through this world through my lens and forgetting that there's other people in in their, their perspective so it's good to be reminded every once in a while that like hey like what you say now won't only just affect anybody like immediately around you, but it can affect, it can affect a lot of people around you. And then however their perspective is of you is now changed because of the way you put out your words and, and in the way you wanted to look through your lens. Cause you may have thought it was funny. Right. Right. Somebody else may have just think thought that dude's an asshole. That dude's just, you know, that dude's a prick or that dude's this, that, and then he spreads that narrative. And then guess what? Now you're that guy. Here's my really innocuous example for this narrative, but I think it's very accurate. So let's say you live in Colorado now, right? I'm just going to make this up. And I'm going to be visiting. And I would like to stay with you because I like you and I don't have money and any number of reasons. 
There are some people where the height of rudeness would be for me to ask you directly. The idea that I would say, hey, Red Dog, I'm going to be in Colorado. Can I stay with you? Would leave them to feel, how dare you put me in an uncomfortable position? The asking makes me have to say no to you. And I don't feel good about that. I feel really uncomfortable and bad. You should have said something along the lines of, hey, I'm going to be in town. Do you know any great places I could stay? Floating it out so that then you can make the offer if you want. Other camp would be like, if you wanted to stay with me and you didn't directly ask me and instead put a lot of stuff out there, I'd be so offended because why are you trying to manipulate me? Just ask me if you want to stay, be direct. The idea that you're calling and you're like clearly angling for something is so shitty. Both people would look at the other person and say they are the height of rudeness and that they're being shitty. Maybe one person thinks the other person is being manipulative. One person thinks the other person is being rude. And the reality is neither of them are wrong. They're just coming at it from a different place and a different set of values and perspectives. And our knee-jerk reaction is to assume that somebody who is coming from the world who doesn't have our mindset is acting with ill intent and purposefully. And so for me, it's been a constant lesson in trying to remember that just because I I do things a certain way doesn't mean another person does it a certain way. And when I can, I should try and figure out how they do things so that I can sort of like meet in the middle of where we are. And also when somebody does something to me, not to knee jerk react with that sort of like anger and assumption that, that they're, they're the fucking stupid. How do they not know? And instead be like, I wonder what they're, version of this is and to actually say hey i'm a really direct person i because that's my version obviously i think is really clear i'm the person where like please just ask me if you want to stay and i was brought up to ask people whatever i was told to ask and then if someone says no they say no and if then you push it after that then you're an asshole but i've learned that there's a lot of people who are really uncomfortable for a variety of reasons with ever being put in a situation where they feel like they may have to let somebody down or disappoint someone and very just even being put in that position makes them feel uncomfortable and therefore resentful and just navigating navigating interactions with human beings is hard enough then you're in wrestling and you're worried about things like your spot, your creative, you know, um, your creative satisfaction. You're, you're having to put together matches with people. I just think learning communication and really truly investing in inward analysis of yourself and how to engage in setting clear expectations with other people is probably one of the most important skills to be able to navigate constantly walking into a locker room and becoming incredibly physically intimate in a way with a variety of strangers in a short period of time. That's an incredibly challenging and underrepresented part of the art of pro wrestling. And you can work on the moves and you can work on every aspect and it's so important. But if you don't know how to talk to somebody and work with them and be able to work your way through real conflict, you're not going to be able to successfully create the staged conflict that is interesting for the audience. I like that. Yeah, that's very, very true. Uh, Listen, like those are all like the heavy hitting questions that I have to ask people. But we do got to get into the second best segment of this podcast, which people are going to be like, well, what's the first? It's the Red Dogs Power Rankings that you can find every Sunday on our debate show. But Jason, this is the three count podcast, 10 count questions. 
and this is how it works. I'm going to fire off 10 questions at you rapid fast. Whatever's your answer, that's your answer. All right. We're going to put on the imaginary timer for ad pressure. Bing! And here we go. Smackdown or Raw? Smackdown. Favorite movie? The Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yes. Jim Carrey is the man in that movie. Love He's that movie. Great. Sonic or Mario? Mario. Oh, see, on 50 50, you could have said, you know, Jim Carrey again, Sonic. Like, nope. Uh, favorite color? Neon green on black. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, PlayStation or Xbox? Uh, PlayStation. Favorite submission move? Sharpshooter. Batman or Spider Man? Batman. Favorite podcast? Collected Possibilities, hosted by yours truly, Mr. Jason Heat, which actually just officially launched yesterday. Hey. Uh, but other than that, The Art of Wrestling by Colt Cabana. That's what really got me into independent wrestling. And I spent, you know, 10 years, I feel like, listening to that guy in my ear and meeting all these people and stuff like that. So when he stopped doing it, it was a real loss. So, you know, cheap plug for mine, um, which you can absolutely check and listen to on all major podcast platforms, Collected Possibilities. And I, if you... Give me a chance later, I'll explain what it is. But otherwise, The Art of Wrestling with Colt Cabana. Hell yeah. Uh, nominate one person that you want to see on this podcast. Uh, my friend Ernie Osiris, former Ring of Honor uh, star and just a really good dude and who's got a really interesting story and is in the sort of beginning stages of a second or third act in pro wrestling and has a lot of really interesting thoughts and ideas. And I think that he would be a really great person for you to talk to. And I'd also love to see him get more platforms um, because I think he deserves more of a voice. Awesome. And then last but not least, my favorite question to ask every single person that comes on this show, favorite podcast. I'm sorry, Here's favorite curse word. <laughs> uh, fuck. It's good, right? A good F-bomb yeah. is all that's needed in this life. Been to me, it's, it. it's not even a curse word anymore to me. To me, it is a, um, what is, how do I, I'm, oh, frag, I had the, the thing. It's, it's, it's punctuation, almost. It's the same way that like became something different in our vocabulary. To me, fuck doesn't mean what it used to mean. I can't possibly imagine that it would. I had this conversation recently where it's like, go fuck you. And I'm like, have sex you like I, that doesn't seem like a curse unless you're like saying have really mediocre sex you you know it's just it's exclamation <laughs> it's 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 i just think it's using sound to add and pepper meaning and inflection into words now so i, I just see it more as punctuation i love it because like there's that uh on youtube there's the video called uh history of the f word and it's like the greatest three minutes like ever in any pot in any any video history. I just tell it I I'm trying to get this video to go viral again because I want people to go back and watch it and be like, what's he talking about? And then just watch it and learn about how you can use that as an intransitive verb. I just are think you, it's great. Are you a fan of The Wire? Have you ever watched the TV show The Wire? No. So that's a show like a lot of people who know that I live in Maryland are upset that I've never seen The Wire. I'm I'm not gonna be upset. Here's what I'm gonna say. You are so fortunate you get to experience watching The Wire for the first time. So, like, there's no shame here. There's only, like, you have such an amazing journey ahead of you. Uh, 
somewhat spoilers, I will say there's an incredible scene about three or four episodes in where there's a murder scene. And this doesn't give away much other than to say two detectives are in a murder scene. The entire three minute scene is nothing but the two of them saying the word fuck. And you understand everything that they're saying, every bit of nuance, every bit of context, the back and forth because of how well it's shot and how you see it, but also how they're using that language. And with one word, said something like 37 times in this three minutes or whatever it is, they tell an entire scene with just that. It's incredible. So, Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to go check this out now. Uh, you know, those are all my questions, but I do have to ask, can you let our listeners and our viewers know where they can find you? So I'm not particularly anywhere to be found, but my podcast is. So I just launched... Uh, Collected Possibilities is an existential explorer's guide to the world of carnivals, fairs, amusements, arcades, festivals, and attractions. And uh, the idea being that life is a limited time opportunity, and I am someone who thinks about death an incredible, incredible amount, and I'm terrified of it. And so my thought process is I can either constantly be stricken in fear by that, or I can use it as motivation to try and go out and do as many amazing, cool, and awesome things as possible. And I also think the world does a great job of telling us how terrible it is all the time. And so there's something about creating an intentional practice of having new experiences and joy and trying to um, inspire people to set time as they get older, you know, our age, and actually make having new experiences and going on adventures a priority. So every week me and somebody else go on a different adventure to, like I said, a theme park or a carnival. We have an existential conversation about that, what we think it's going to be. We go do it and then talk about what it actually was. And then hopefully it's going to expand to other shows with regards to like food and culture and everything's still built around that idea of that life is a limited time opportunity. So let's make it memorable. Uh, you can find the show on all podcast platforms, collected possibilities. We're on Facebook and Instagram at collected possibilities and Twitter at collect possible because Twitter has less characters allowed for their handles. Uh, the first three episodes are all up now. Um, you can go ahead and check them out. We go to Dave and Buster's. We go to Escapeology for an Arizona shootout escape room with professional wrestler Logan Easton LaRoe. And if I get to pick two people, he's the other person I would say for you to be on your show. He's great. And I, I think the world of him. And then we also go to the Big Dill, which is a pickle festival in Baltimore, Maryland. <laughs> I'm familiar with the Big Dill, even though I'm not a pickle person. I just understand, like how cool that place can be <laughs> but like every good part of a wrestling match we gotta take this home because this is the three count podcast presents now entering ring and like i said i'm your host clifford red dog miller the man that leads you up this mountain called wrestling but like every good sherpa which i like to think i am you gotta have someone who's been there done that and can do it more efficiently than you can and that's why it's never about me it's about who's entering the ring and today you see him he's right next to me he's the man the myth legend and when you just got the huge lecture and hopefully you all took notes jc he you guys know what to do tune into the next episode and be there or you just wait for this episode and you wait for that outro and then you choose another episode to listen to
Peace. What's going on, Three Count Nation? I'm Clifford Red Dog Miller with the catchphrase. But what I really want to do right now, go to twitter.com, right? Go over there, find us at the Three Count underscore pod, give us a follow, give us a like, give us a comment. We want to talk to you guys. Go to IG at the Three Count Pod. Give us a like, give us a follow, leave us a comment. We want to interact with you. Go to youtube.com, give subscribe, turn the bell on, turn on notifications, leave a comment. We want to talk to you. Go to anger.fm forward slash the three count podcast and in there you can leave us a message and we will talk to you. Basically what I'm trying to tell you is that we want to talk to you. We want to have fun with you guys and we love listening to what you guys have to say. Also one thing I need you to do for me, the three count podcast also has merchandise. At ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the three count pod. Please go buy our t-shirts. We love you guys and we hope you love us too. So show us some support, please.